Hey, welcome to another veteran cast on today's show. I'm talking to Joe Biggs. The mission of VeteranCast is to educate, inform, and improve the lives of veterans in our community. This is a podcast hosted and produced by veterans in order to serve our sisters and brothers. At ease. Hey, welcome back to VeteranCast. And uh, I'm sitting in Chesapeake, Virginia, visiting my mom. And I am talking to Joe Biggs, who is uh, sitting in Daytona, Florida, visiting his mom. So that's 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 pretty cool. And we decided yeah. we decided to do a Skype show. It's the day before Thanksgiving. I want to get this out fast to everybody. Uh, but uh, wanted to talk to Joe. Joe uh, uh, Army, uh, medically retired, uh, huge online presence, by the way. Congratulations on that. You're skyrocketing out there. Yeah, I mean, I've been working on it for a long time. I took some time off uh, um, for about a year just to focus on my daughter when she was born, and she's about a year and a half. So I've been trying to get back into, you know, making videos and talking about stuff again and things like that. So I'm trying to ease my way back into the into the spotlight in a sense. I guess you would say online doing what I used to do. Well, you're not easing; you're exploding. So. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome watching you. I, uh, I've been following you, I don't know, probably for a few months now. And uh, for anybody, uh, well, actually, for anybody that's, that's, that's listening, on, uh, you want to give people your Twitter handle and, and tell them where else to find you? Well, you can't find me on Facebook because I was banned. Um, <laughs> but you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at, at Rambo Biggs, R-A-M-B-O-B-I-G-G-S. And everyone's like, why does your tag say Rambo Biggs? And the person that says that to me has like, you know, you know, what is it like fat butt 69 forward <laughs> slash whatever. I'm like, you're making fun of my handle. Like, come on, dude. I used to watch Rambo all the time and it was just a nickname that stuck, you know, with me throughout my whole life. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, where, where were you stationed and, and where did you serve? Um, I joined in Bradenton, Florida, and my first duty station was Fort Bragg. Uh, I deployed to Iraq a few times in Afghanistan um, with those guys, and then I PCSed uh, to El Paso to Biggs Army Airfield with the 1st Armored Division, and I was there for a little while. I never deployed with them, though. Yeah, well, uh, and and thank you for your service over there. I'm an old I'm an old guy. I did like the Desert Storm and Desert Shield. I was out there for what 11 months but i never saw any combat or anything like that but i i really appreciate your service and and uh and and that's one of the things that we wanted to talk about on this show uh was you've been really uh, one you're open and honest you're probably the most open and honest vet out there on on twitter and i absolutely loved it that's probably what got you banned on facebook they don't like people they don't like people being open and honest (laughs) And, uh, and one of the things that, that we touched upon was PTSD, uh, or that you touched upon was PTSD and it kind of hit me. And that's why I reached out to you. Uh, this is a, this is a rough time of year for a lot of veterans that are, that are, uh, that have come back. Uh, even, even the fact that I saw on Twitter and you probably saw it the other day that a veteran was saved. Um, he, uh, he was basically wrote a tweet, said, Hey, and nobody probably cares, but you know, I'm sitting in a parking lot and this is the end. And, uh, man, I, I'll tell you, it, it, uh, it sends chills up my spine right now, but thousands of people, uh, responded, 
uh, I think they got the guy to safety. Um, and, uh, and it, you know, it, it's a rough time of year. You know, we leave the military behind and we leave that, all of that support group and our family behind. And, uh, and some guys, especially at this time of year, feel really alone and, and ladies feel really alone. And, uh, and, and uh, one, I want to obviously do the show just to show appreciation that, man, I, I, I love these, you know, men and women that, that put so much into this country. And, um, and I want them to keep fighting, you know, and, and, and keep coming. But uh, if you can share your story and what you went through, just because I can't, I can't even, it's hard to even empathize with a vet that's been through what you guys have been through. Well, I mean, you want me to talk about it in a sense from like, you know, holiday aspect and how you deal with that or just the the PTSD in general and how it kind of started and transpired and progressed and I fell and hit rock bottom and then I've kind of gotten to where I am now to deal with it. Yeah, I think I think starting with the PTSD, uh, because that, you know, obviously the the, the way that you've, uh, you know, the way that you've come back is 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 probably a really, really important story for other guys to hear well it's i guess i had it when i was at fort bragg but i had such a great support channel there you know i had you know these men that i deployed with on every deployment i mean i knew what they were thinking before they did it i knew it was you know they knew what i was thinking when we moved we moved as a unit you know you know we sat down and there was no nowhere to lean your back the one guy automatically would sit behind you and put his back against yours you know it was a family like no other, you know, stronger than blood. And uh, it, it's one of those things that the Army does that I understand why they do it. They, they PCS people, they move them around from unit to unit because they don't, want, they don't want there to be a break in the chain of command in a sense. They don't want fraternization is, is what they call it. They don't like, you know, privates who maybe screw up a little bit, who never really rise in the ranks and become an NCO. Um, to always stay in that position, but their friends rise up in the ranks and then they get to skate through and, you know, nothing ever happens to them. So I understand why they do it. But for me, in my experience, when I finally came back from my last deployment in 2009 from Afghanistan, I get back to Fort Bragg and they go, you're PCS and you're going to El Paso. And for me, it, it broke my heart. It shattered me. You know, I'm in my 20s, and basically it was rougher than, you know, my parents going through a divorce um, because I love these guys more than I love my own family because when I was in, I didn't really ever hear from my family. I was always employed. I was always in the field. So this was my family now. These yeah. guys in my unit were my family, and I loved them more than anything in the world, and I still do, and I still keep in contact with these guys. But it really sent me down a, a dark hole because here I am driving cross country to an area that's in a completely different demographic. I mean, I'm going from an area, you know, in the Carolinas to being on the, uh, you know, a border state in El Paso, right on the border of Juarez, where there are these huge cartel wars going on. And, and if you're a white boy in El Paso, people don't like you too much, yeah. you know, and that's just how it is. That's just how that culture is. And they don't warm up to you too easily. And they don't like the military being there. That's just how it is. It's, not everybody's a fan of that. They don't like the the soldiers being around and being drunk and rowdy. And you can understand that. I mean, it, yeah. it is what it is. But I'm coming from this huge support channel of family. And I'm thrown into this environment where I'm already not liked. I'm all alone. I'm an NCO. So I don't live in the barracks. I don't have a way to really meet people. And I'm 
by myself every day in this apartment. I go in, you know, I drive on base, I do my PT, you know, I, you know, I, you know, soldier, kick ass, you know, train, do all that stuff, do our job. And then I come back at home and I'm left with nothing but my own thoughts. And that's really what, really what started killing me was I started thinking the only way I could ever think about being happy was to think about, Oh, I remember that one time when me and, you know, so-and-so did this and that, but then I would start to think about combat and all this. And it, it just really, it really took over him and how I describe it. And what I try to tell people is I call it like this demon, this demon possessed me. And I began having these like night tears where I would wake up in the middle of the night and feel paralyzed. Like I couldn't move. Like someone was holding me down, choking me and suffocating me. And I remember like, you know, screaming and crying and, and not knowing what the hell's going on and finally being able to, to get up and move around. And just I just started hitting the sauce like crazy day in and day out. And it got to a point where I did nothing but drink tequila like it was going out of style, like a bottle a day almost. I mean, oh. I mean, it was it was out of control. Yeah. And I, I got it got worse and worse and worse. And long story short, uh right before as my time was coming to an end um before i got out at my 10 year mark um i remember i was at this bar that i go to every now and then and uh it was probably like 12 o'clock at night and my roommate uh he was a, a captain because i ended up moving this was like a couple years later that's why i was trying to fast forward to the end um, I ended up moving in with this guy who was a captain. He had a house on the other side of El Paso where I lived, and he just had a separate side of the house that I stayed in. And he, we, we both worked different times. So when I was there, he wasn't there. When he was there, I wasn't there. I was at work. And I went out, and I knew he was out that night. And I was at this bar, and I'm surrounded by beautiful women, and all this stuff's going on. There's bands playing. There's a DJ outside, and all of a sudden, I just remember like closing my eyes and then open my eyes. And I felt like there was no one around me. I felt all alone, but I could hear people talking and I, I felt like my throat started to squeeze and swell up and I couldn't breathe. And I threw my beer down and I got up and I ran away and I jumped into my car, cranked it and got on the road and started driving back to the house. And I came to this red light and I just started punching the hell out of my steering wheel so much that I have a scar here. Cause I cut in through my hand um, and once I cut my hand, I started hitting the ceiling and it left these like knuckle marks. Cause it has like that, that spongy foam stuff in the top that my car did anyways. And you can see these huge knuckle marks and I was just angry. I don't, I don't know why, but I felt like I just couldn't go on anymore. And I went back home and I took an entire bottle of prescription sleep medication that I had been taking, um, like one or two a night just so I could sleep. Cause I haven't been, able, I hadn't been able to sleep for a while. I took the whole bottle, grabbed uh, a bottle of tequila, chugged it, and I remember just going into the backyard, and it's like a deserty kind of like, you know, sand, and then there's this cobblestone wall we had in the back, and I climb up on this wall, and I'm sitting there facing my back area, and at this point in time, when I lived there in El Paso, there was no, uh, no other houses out there. It was just a big, wide-open desert, and you could see all the way to, like, white sands or whatever, in a sense. Like, it, was, it went out that far, way out that way. And I just jumped off the wall and started walking in the desert. And I was like, I'm just going to die out here. I don't really care anymore. And uh, out of nowhere, my freaking phone rings. And this girl, Becca, that I knew in South Carolina when I was young, 
She says, I don't know why, but something told me to call you. Um, she says, I got this feeling like you're in trouble oh. and you just need help. And, and somewhere, somehow in my incoherent rambling, I guess she was able to find out where I lived. We hadn't spoken in years, you know, yeah. and she somehow found out the address that I was at. And I woke up in the hospital. My stomach had been pumped and they saved my life. I could have died. And, uh, you know, when I woke up, my first sergeant was there and platoon sergeant. And they, they go, Sergeant Biggs, you try to kill yourself? And I go, nope. It's got too drunk and took too many pills on accident. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I put on a mask and <clears throat> they said, okay, well, we'll see you back at the unit. And I realized at that point in time that I was able to, you know, trick people and be able to lie my way through the issue I had. Yeah. I guess that's the easiest way to put it. And, you know, I, if they would have known that I tried to kill myself, I would have gotten booted, you know, and I would have been known as that guy who couldn't hold it together and who, who was just, uh, you know, a reckless, you know, little crybaby bitch in a sense, yeah. you know, and uh, I, I went back to work and, you know, there were rumors and whispers and I, all I did was I came in stronger during the day. I, I laughed and joked with everybody and eventually it just became one of those things that no one ever knew. And I went home every night. And I cried myself to sleep all the time, hating myself, um, just becoming an extreme alcoholic, violent person um, and just hell bent on, you know, destroying myself. Yeah. You know, if I wasn't going to literally kill myself, I was going to drink myself to death. Um, and I just really hated myself for some reason. I never understood why. And I would sneak away and pretend that I was going to like sick call, but I'd really go to, you know, a psychiatrist. And then I go to the psychiatrist and they start medicating me. And then it got worse. Then it became uncontrollable. It didn't matter. I would just snap. Now it started affecting my work. Now it started affecting everything. Now it became this extremely volatile, violent person who was just a ticking time bomb. Like, you know, and at this point in time, I was, you know, I'm 5'9", 220 pounds uh, with hardly any fat on me and rock solid, you know, neck from here to here. Like, I'm not like a little, I wasn't a little dude. Yeah. You know, I, I could definitely kick some ass. And that's not good to have, to be like that and, and to be that loose cannon like I was. Well, I'm able to, you know, do what I do. I, I, I did like I, I, what I called it was putting on a mask. Every day I would wake up. I'd put this mask on. It would cover who I am. This person who's depressed, wants to kill himself and hates his life. And I'd put this mask on and become someone else who was this, you know, happy Staff Sergeant Biggs guy that everyone loved and thought was, you know, you know, you know, this hoorah go-getter guy, you know, uh, high speed, you know, they would call me. Um, but, you know, I was only able to do that for so long. And I eventually, my, my time came to an end. And, uh, I got out and I decided to go back to the Carolinas um, where my mom was at the time and stay with her for a little bit until I could find a place in Charlotte. I don't know why I wanted to live in Charlotte, but I did for some reason. And I go stay at my mom's and it doesn't get any better. I'm taking these pills. Or actually, let me backtrack. Sorry. I go stop in Houston, Texas as I'm leaving out of El Paso. And a guy that I deployed with last in Afghanistan got, got out as well. He got out for PTSD. Him and I went on a mission, and uh, we killed a whole bunch of Taliban. We had to go do what's called a BDA, a battle damage assessment, where you go in and look at the bodies, and you take what's called a hide, which is this bio biometric system, 
and you you know run the fingerprints and the pupils to see if they're you know any known like high value targets or anything like that through this database and you know sometimes there's an arm that's you know off the body and legs gone and heads decapitated from gunfire or whatever like that and uh you know you saw some pretty messed up stuff and it really screwed with Aaron bad and he was out in Houston being uh monitored uh weekly by this hospital because they had they said he had like one of the most severe cases of PTSD well on my way going back to the east coast to go to my mom's I stopped by his place to see him and I'm already extremely weak and just not giving a shit and I just want my pain to be gone that I feel and he gives me Xanax and Percocets and all this shit and I end up having all this medication that the army's given me which gives you suicidal thoughts violent you know violent tendencies you know angry behavior you know nightmares night terrors you know possible you know just basically medication would want to kill yourself and then I take all these painkillers to numb it, uh, and I go back home, and I get to my mom's, and every night I'm snorting fucking. I'm sorry, hit me to say that. I'm, <laughs> I'm snorting. That's all right. I'm snorting lines of Percocets and Xanax, and I'm taking these other pills. And uh, one night I remember just I was playing Nintendo Wii or something like that. My mom had a Wii. I don't know why. And I was playing like Super Mario Brothers or something in this, you know, rep room that she was letting me stay in until I got my my crap together. And uh, I remember grabbing my gun and uh, like walked out in the woods. And I was like, you know what? I'm just done. I'm done suffering. I ate my life. And I walk out in the woods and I put the AR in my mouth and go to pull the trigger and nothing happens. And I just kind of fall to the ground and I get extremely scared. And I start hyperventilating and you know screaming, and I'm like, I look up at the sky with tears in my eyes, and I'm like, why God? Like, why? Why do I effing hate myself so bad? You know. And I left the gun on the ground, and I ran back into my mom's house, snuck in there, go upstairs, and I remember walking into the bed or, or the bathroom, and I threw my hands out on the counter, and I'm looking at myself, and I'm going, what this? You know, the f is wrong with me? Like I used to be a nice guy. I used to be this guy that everyone loved. And now I have to pretend to be that just to get through the day so I look normal so no one asks questions and, you know, and sees that I'm this suicidal maniac that, you know, just a ticking time bomb. And when I threw my hands down on the counter, all those pill bottles fell over and I went, that's the only thing that's really changed in my life other than, you know, the, the normal change that would happen after seeing a bunch of crazy stuff. But these pills, and I took these pills and I flushed them down the toilet or threw them in the garbage. And uh, I haven't taken a single pill since then. I don't. I, I literally just broke my hand a few weeks ago in Austin, Texas, when I went back there um, to go take care of some business. And uh, I didn't take any pain medicine. My hand's broken. I got two broken knuckles. And the doctor goes, you need something. I was like, I'll just deal with it. I, yeah. I, I, and, and to this day, I refuse to take any medication. And until this day, I do not have those issues. That's and I, I've, I've learned, you know, I was getting suicidal thoughts before the medication, but then I started taking it and it really escalated to a point. And then once I stopped taking it, I just had to look myself in the mirror every day and go, look, you're not a bad guy. You know, you're, you're not this violent, shitty person who constantly destroys relationships and the friends around him and. And, you know, has these, you know, 
angry outbursts where he cusses everyone out and says things he doesn't mean. You know, I, I, I was literally destroying everything around me. And when I stopped taking that stuff and I was able to just man up and look myself in the mirror and go, the only issue that there really is is just myself. I need to learn to love who I am now. And, you know, yeah, I've changed. Yeah, I'm never going to be the Joe in Florida before I joined. Right. But the new me is not a bad guy. And if I can just do this without all this medication, if I can just stop self-medicating and, and, and just learn to, to get to the root of the problem, um, I, can, I can figure this out. And over years, I just had to learn to talk about stuff. I had to find other people that were going through similar things, and I had to, to talk about it. And I would watch freaking war movies and cry myself you know, into tears. Man, I, I remember when freaking, uh, what was it, American Sniper, that one. I cried at the freaking and bawled my eyes out. I went and saw Lone Survivor in a theater, and I wore a hoodie. And at the end of it, I was bawled up in tears, and people were coming by and going, it's okay, dude. I mean, they could kind of tell, you know, I was a vet, you know, I look like it. I mean, I have army tattoos all over my body. I mean, yeah. it's pretty obvious, but you know, as, as crazy as that sounds, I'm sure some people think it's funny and laugh. I mean, that's how I dealt with it. I had to sit there and just face the stuff. I had to watch the stuff and I had to just let it out. And, yeah. you know, and when I learned to just ball myself, you know, you know, cry and watch something, it, it really felt better afterwards and I felt saner and I felt fine and I could just go out, you know, now I've got a daughter, you know, if I would have been dead, I wouldn't have a daughter, you know, I wouldn't have the opportunities to do a lot of stuff to help people, you know, and what I always try to tell people is when you're down in that deep, dark hole and that demon's on your back holding you down, just, you know, you just got to keep holding on because there's always going to be an opportunity to do better. There's always an opportunity to survive and to take another day and for a long time i literally lived day by day yeah like there there was a chance i mean i i didn't even go through all the attempts on myself there's many times i had a gun in my mouth you know and and, and it was an honest cry for help but i learned to to con everyone into thinking that i was completely okay and that's what made it worse too so you know a message a lot of people out there if you're going through this you got to find people to talk to because you're not alone, you know, and, and, and it's a selfish thing that we do. You know, we we take this pain that we have and we hold it on. We hold on to it ourselves and we become, you know, selfish. We go, no, this is my pain and no one else knows what this is like. But that's complete and total BS, man. There are other guys who've been to Nam. There's other guys who've been to Iraq and Afghanistan. There's people there's, a, you know, I, I did this video the other day talking about my experiences on periscope and i've been getting emails like crazy like there's a guy he told me he's like i've never even been in combat but i was a coal miner and i was buried alive and somehow they were able to get me out right before i died and he goes i can't function in society anymore and all these people are coming to me now and talking about it so there's people out there that deal with it there's people out there every day and sadly you know we have 22 a day is what they say average of you know veterans that are killing themselves and it shouldn't be that way because if you're feeling that way, but it's not too bad, you do, the biggest thing you need to do is find other people and you need to talk to them because you might end up sparking a conversation with a guy who's at a bar just having a beer right before he goes out into the parking lot and does something like that or, you know, uh, and, and goes and, and, and does something stupid like that. So, you know, when I moved here back in July, I came from Austin, Texas. That's where I'd been living. And uh, for the last few months, I haven't had anybody to talk to. And I kind of started getting a little depressed. 
you know, but I eventually found this bar. I was driving down the road and there's this huge soldier statue outside and the guy, he's holding the American flag. looks like he's charging into battle. I go, that's probably a good spot for me to go. <laughs> and I, and, and, and after about a month, I never even went in there actually. Cause I'm, I'm really shy person now. Yeah. Um, it's easy for me to be talking when I do this because I've worked on, you know, TV and radio so long now that I'm used to when the camera goes on, I can talk and spark up a conversation. But Joe, regular Joe and me in public, I'm very shy. I can't start a conversation with anybody. I look like, you know, you know, the shy guy that just is by himself. He's a loner. But if someone talks to me, then all of a sudden I'll open up and that's it. You know, when I walk into this bar and I'm seeing, you know, first armor division tattoos and special forces and air force and all this shit. And I go, wow, man, I'm, I'm somewhere where I can, I kind of fit in, you know, when I sit down and some guy goes 82nd airborne. Yeah. And then after that, that was it. I was like, yeah. now I go there all the time and I feel good, you know? And that's what people have to do is you gotta, you've got to find another support channel. And I lost my family in Fort Bragg. And over the years I've had to find new people with similar experiences. And that's really how at the end of the day is, getting off prescription medication because when you look at those side effects on there nine times out of ten it tells you you're going to want to blow your head off yeah so it's probably a good idea not to take that well and they're, um, and they're treating symptoms too right yeah they're they not, don't yeah because yeah, they, they don't, don't they don't know what you, you guys have been through the unspeakable and and i'm not sure how a doctor can even empathize or you know or even prescribe something not not actually knowing what you know, what you guys have been through. Well, yeah, that's the thing though, too. And that's another issue with the VA and, and with a lot of these psychiatrists, they, in the, in the military, they get some young kid that graduates out of med school or whatever. And he's got his, you know, his doctorate and he's, 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 you know, all gung ho, but he's never seen a lick of combat. He's, yeah. you know, 20 something years old, you know, and he's this spoiled rich kid who's never, you know, slept in trenches and, had to eat MREs for days on end or, you know, ever had to, you know, be in a, a firefight that seems like, you know, days, but it's only 10 minutes of just intense rounds flying. And it seems like a lifetime, you know, so it's hard when you go into these, these, you know, group therapy sessions and they go, okay, you know, I, just tell me what's going on and I can understand. I'm, and I'm like, you nice. can't freaking understand that. No and all way. that does, all that does is piss you off. So that that's a real big issue that the VA needs to work on is, is how they, how they go about doing stuff like that. And yeah, you're not always going to find doctors who have combat experience. I, I get it, but at least maybe having a doctor there that monitors for notes or whatever, but you know, you have a veteran led um, thing, you know, it's easier for us to talk to one another because we've all been there and I do find it therapeutic to talk about it. That's why I've been so vocal the last year really talking about my stuff because when I talk about it, I feel better. And then when I get feedback from people, they go, I thought it was just me, you know, and they come over and give me a hug or something like that. You know that, you know, you're able to help people. And, you know, in this, the situation we saw on Twitter the other night, um, a couple nights ago, when that guy said he wanted to kill himself in a parking lot, um, you know, that was just one instance I've seen. There's this girl, Gretchen, uh, I think it's at Code of Vets or whatever. And all she does is help veterans who want, to wow. off themselves wow and, and she sits on there day in and day out like this one thing just happened to go viral yeah. you know i saw it i think even paul joseph watson shared it uh mike cernovich then james woods and dana lash and yeah. all these people like they just blew up yeah. and we were able to orchestrate this man search for this guy 
And, you know, James Woods was driving cross country and able to coordinate with Matlin, Florida police. And they found this dude. I mean, this was insane. But this is one instance. And I see this happening on a daily basis. And this girl, Gretchen, this uh, she's a veteran as well. She uh, a woman, I should say, not girl. Um, she uh, she's kicking ass, man. She's out there on the Internet looking for these people that are, you know, at their end. And she does videos and they, they scour the Internet and she's got hundreds, of, you know, to maybe a thousand people at any given time. And they all sit there and band together Ugh. and try to find these guys and, and try to get information. And they eventually find like a parent or a relative's number or a brother or sister. And they're able to end up contacting this guy. And then they go, look, talk to us. Look at all these comments. People really do care about you. You're not alone. Don't kill yourself. You know, and, and it's amazing that the that, that's one of the great things about social media. I, I think social media is one of the worst inventions in the world. <laughs> I, I truly hate it. I think it's a disgusting <laughs> invention. But there are great things about it. Yeah. And when you see it, when you see it being used um, to help save lives like that, uh, you know, that really, well, that, that's really cool. Especially if you got a vet out there that's feeling alone, you know, and you've got a, you know, like you were saying that you left your, you know, you left your family behind and you were alone. Well, you know, it's not a replacement, but having that virtual family, you know, can, can, can really make a difference. Then. Yeah. You know, and, and my experiences and how I dealt with it, it's not going to be the answer for everyone else. I mean, everyone deals with this stuff differently. Like for me, it was never really the combat stuff. The combat stuff changed me. I mean, I'm not the same guy I was, but I never really dwelled on the things I did. It was for me, it was, you know, I was taken away from my regular family, my blood family. Yeah. And then I get thrust into this new family. And then, you know, we're in combat together. We're experiencing all this stuff. And then they become my real family in my eyes because, you know, they were there for me for in the worst and darkest times. And then being pulled from that and putting me, you know, in a new area all alone with nothing but my thoughts. When I would think about my friends, I would then have to end up thinking about combat and things like that. And I would have nightmares and stuff like that. And today I don't think about the combat stuff, Yeah. but it, it really, the biggest thing was being pulled away um, from that family that I grew to love so dearly, you know? And, and like I said, my buddy, Aaron, he, I remember him and I went to go pick up a body and when he went to go grab the arms, both the arms came off. And he just threw up and you could see the look on his face like he 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 died that day. Aaron died that day and he was never the same again. And when I was able to see him in Houston, um, I could tell like he he was hearing voices. He would mumble. He was uh, complete and totally paranoid. He thought that there were people coming after him. And it was sad. I mean, combat affects everyone differently. And Uh, uh, how's, how's he doing today? I, I literally get a call from him once a month where he's wanting to kill himself. And we have two, three hour conversations until about three, four in the morning, you know, and, and it's just one of those things where, you know, he calls me, I answer immediately because I know he's got an issue he's, he, that's going on yeah. and it's gotten so bad that his wife's divorced him. She's taken the kids. Um, he became so paranoid. He, he thought that she was cheating on him and he bought trackers and he was tracking her and all this crap. And he, he was, it was bad. I mean, you know, a lot of my friends have become homeless. A lot of them have, some of them have killed themselves. Um, a lot of them are barely getting by on the government, barely getting by on veteran benefits and, yeah. you know, not doing really well. 
you know, so, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I've been able to come out of this a little bit on top and be a little bit successful in a sense, as far as not being, um, as bad off as I was. I mean, I was for about four or five years, pretty bad, but I'm, I've been able to rise above and like I said, face what my issues were that I found were my issues and look, at, <laughs> look myself in the mirror and be honest with myself and really conquer that. And, uh, like I said, you know, I still don't like being in big public areas. I don't, I get panic attacks if I'm at like a Walmart. I haven't been to Walmart in forever. I that's, can't go to an area. That's probably a good thing. Bro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really missing out, you know, like, uh, you know, it's, I'll never be the same. Yeah. I'll never be the same. Yeah. And that's what everyone, you know, I hope if you're watching this, you know, you're never going to be the same, but you've got to learn to look yourself in the mirror and, and be okay with who you are Amen. and go, you know, I can move on as this new person and I can be happy and I can be successful and I can still take that soldier mentality and use that structure that I learned in the military and that those core leadership values. And I can, you know, be driven and I can find a job and I can go out and I can achieve things and I can, I can get through the day and I can still, you know, be a integral part of society and a yeah. family man and a partner or whatever, you know, you, you can still go out there and do stuff. You don't have to let this own you and destroy your life. You can always come out of it on top. Yeah. Amen. What, uh, what can we do? You know, the, uh, I, I, I tell people, you know, when I left the Navy, I didn't, I didn't talk to anybody, didn't, you know, for 20 years, it was, it was gone, you know? And then I, I kind of pulled myself back in when I saw, when I saw that veterans were really kind of suffering coming back from Afghanistan and, and Iraq. And I said, you know, there's gotta be something that I can do as a non-combat veteran that obviously I don't, I don't understand what you've gone through, but I want to help somehow. What's your advice to, there's a lot of us out here that are sitting here going, I want to be able to help these men and women that are coming back. You know, do you have advice for us, you know, on how we can help you guys? Well, I think a big thing would be, you know, talking to the guys and finding out what their issues are. Like for me, issues for me that I think really need to be solved that could play a huge role in, you know, in making our vets successful um, you need walk-in clinics at some of these VA locations. Um, a lot like me, the only healthcare I have is through the VA yeah. and the VA, the way it is now is set up solely on, um, appointments. And sometimes those appointments can take a long time. You know, uh, I walked in there to the VA, uh, about a year ago and I just thought I had the flu and, uh, I walked in there and I just felt sick and I said, Hey, I need help. And they turned me away. Oh. Um, they said, you need an appointment. And I went home and I got worse. And two days later, I couldn't move. My wife had to pick me up and she dragged me to the ER and I had the flu and pneumonia and almost died. Oh, Jesus. You know, yeah. um, so there's a lot of us. And, and that 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 made me resent the VA even more on top of what I already resent them by. And a lot of these guys killed themselves in VA parking lots um, yeah. because they're not able to get the care. So what we need, we need people to help you know, lobby in a sense. We need people to go, look, we need these, you know, walk-in clinics, like an ER essentially. And some of them, not all of them, obviously you can't put that many, um, everywhere, but there's, there's tons of people out there looking for work in the medical field. You know, when you go to the VA, I mean, you go to an ER, it's like a nurse, yeah. there's nurses. And then like one doctor that comes by and checks on it, you know, you mean to tell me we can't hire an extra doctor and some nurses out there that need experience to come in there and take people that don't feel good 
you know, there, there's veterans I've known that, that, that have said, hey, I remember, uh, I don't even talk about that one. There's one guy I read a story about. He walked into the VA and said he was having suicidal thoughts and he wanted to go see a psychiatrist. And they said, hey, we, need, we can schedule an appointment. You can come back. He went outside, grabbed gasoline, lit himself on fire and killed himself. You know, so we need to be able to get these guys help because a lot of them are going to be like me. All I've got is that, yeah. you know, and if, and if I go to the ER, I'm paying, you know, out of my, my butt, you know, oh, yeah. to, to, to get taken care of. Yeah. And you're going to drop uh, two grand just, just by walking in the front door. Yeah. Another thing is we got to change that mentality. We need to, we need to ask these guys to change that mentality of medicating before we get to the root of the problem. You know, we need to learn, you know, we need to find out why the VA and why the military doesn't talk um, to these guys and sit down and actually go, you know, what is bothering you and how can we fix that? Not how do we numb it yeah. for while you're on duty hours and then you go home and, you know, you're depressed and suicidal, you know? So that's another thing we need to fix is, you know, not medicating so much, but then trying to figure out how to get to the root of the problem. Another thing is, is, you know, there needs to be courses and workshops um, I think uh, classes or something for family members and friends yes. um, of people that have a loved one who's uh, been in combat and things like that, who's going through these issues. And, and I've been married twice and my issues that screwed it all up, my, my anger, my depression, and them thinking it, it comes to a point because you don't know how to love. You don't want to, be bothered and you're volatile and then they think it's them. And then they think at the end of the day that you're cheating or this or that, or, you know, there's all these things. And I have friends that they they're all divorced now for the most part, because it's hard for these women to understand why we're acting the way we do. And I remember going, man, I wish there was a course you could go to. So you don't think I'm just this asshole and that you are the reason that, that, that you, that I'm treating you this way, that it's me that I'm the messed up one yeah. bit. And, and, you know, so there needs to be courses, I think, set up somehow where we need to get, you know, family members and loved ones in there to sit down with someone like myself who's willing to talk or someone else and go, look, your husband, your boyfriend, your son, your father, uh, he doesn't hate you and he loves you, but he's dealing with this. And I can, yeah. you know, we get people to go in and talk. And I think that's something that would be extremely helpful because, now you start building that strong uh, support channel for that veteran. Now he has a family that understands what's going on and understands, you know, like there's times now people know just to leave me alone. Yeah. It's better just to not say anything. I might seem like I'm kind of down, but sometimes I just need to think, Yeah. you know, and, you know, I'm not being a dickhead or anything like that. It's just, <laughs> you know, you know, but people have to learn that. And that's one of the huge things, too, that leads and that with that individual the other night, that Marine, the, his whole thing spark, spiraled out because of a, a failed relationship, a breakup. And, you know, our time in service and our time in combat affects everything we do in life. It's going to affect our relationships. It's going to affect how we go to work, how we do everything. And like I said, that that's one of those things you've got to learn to look yourself in the mirror and go, you know, you got to be smart about it. You got to deal with it the right way. And uh, it, it's really hard when you have people around you that don't understand what you're going through. So that that's something that definitely needs to happen. I I agree. And and for those of us on the other side, I totally agree with you because I don't know how to handle it either. I don't know how to. I want to help, but I don't know necessarily the right thing to do. So that's that's why I do this. Is just hey, if we can get the word out, 
Um, you, I think I, I want to leave on a, on a incredibly positive note for people. And one of the things that you said a, a little while ago in the interview, I think was really important. There, and that's that, you know, you made it past this and now you're, now you have these new incredible memories, right? Your daughter. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, that, that's the only thing that I keep saying to, to people that tell me, uh, you know, that they're ready for the pain to end and they're ready to leave is I always tell them, hey, there, there's a memory around the corner that you don't even know about. There's something that's going to happen if you can just hang on, crawl, walk, you know, do whatever you can. But there is a day around the corner for you that you never even imagined was going to happen to you. And, uh, and I just wanted to reiterate that because I heard it in your voice, you know, with your daughter. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know this. I've learned over my many mistakes and relationships. I'm not a relationship guy, and I've come to terms with that. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I never thought that I would be a dad. I mean, I, I, remember, I remember this one day very clearly. I was sitting down. His name is Sprinkle, PFC Sprinkle. And we were in Iraq sitting on top of what's called an ASV, an Army, armored security vehicle. And we're right outside of Baghdad, and there's this bombing raid going on. They're just tearing stuff up. And I remember sitting on the hood of this ASV, and we're both laying down and smoking like a black and mild. I think we just <laughs> it was some, you know, black and mild or whatever. And my mom had sent me some bottles of vodka, but in Aquafina bottles. So she unscrewed the Aquafina <laughs> bottles, dumped out the water, and poured vodka in. God and bless your mom. To, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting on the hood of this car with PFC Sprinkle. And uh, I remember we're, we're taking shots and we're talking. He's like, you know, what do you want to do when you get out? I was like, dude, I'm never going to live past 20-something years old. You know, here I am, 34. I've been all over the world now. I've met presidents. I've, I've done all kinds of cool stuff. I've covered terrorist attacks. I, I've covered the Ferguson riots. I've been, you know, every major event that's happened in the world in the last four years. I've pretty much been there and, and been a part of it and seen it. And uh, – and now I've got a kid and, you know, I just remember that day clearly like sitting there going, I just honestly didn't think I would live past that, that deployment yeah. because it was so crazy, you know, and here I am, you know, years down the road and, you know, I'm, I'm not doing bad, you know, yeah. it, it, it worked out, you know, I had to go through hell and back, but man, it's worth it, you know, ah, you know? It, that's that, the good thing about it. Like when I look and I got a kid that looks like me and she's hilarious, you know, like me. I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. And I'm glad that I didn't do what I want to do so many times. I'm glad I was able to just hold on a day longer, a day longer, a day longer and grind it out until I finally was able to come to terms with my issues. Um, it all paid out, you know, it, it's been worth it. Amen, brother. I, well, well, and, and tomorrow's Thanksgiving. I'm going to try to get this up tonight. And uh, I want to tell her that one, I'm thankful for you and thankful for your service. Thankful you made it through. Glad that we connected online. Uh, I appreciate you, and and uh, this message has to get out. And I hope I hope uh, if if people are listening and and you're friends with a veteran, you're someone's a vet in your family. One, listen to this, and two, pass it on. Uh, try to get the message to them because uh, we we got to get these guys uh, and ladies the 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 assistance that they need. But th thanks, I I can't thank you enough. You dropped everything and and did this podcast with me, and uh, I really appreciate it. No problem, brother. Thank you. All right, sir.
Please visit VeteranCast.com for additional information. Subscribe to our podcast, and we'd also appreciate a review. God bless you, and God bless America.